baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back to the morning briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we're doing. And I'll tell you why we're doing it. Each and every member of the Connecting Vets team knows what it's like to have worn the uniform. Just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off for that last time. The fear, the struggle, the difficulty that you can face when you're transitioning from a life in uniform to a life as a civilian, we know all too well how that can be, and that's why we're working all too hard probably not the right term, to make sure that you have the best information and news and basically making sure that you are aware of everything that's available to help you live your best veteran life. So visit ConnectingVets.com every day and follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest knows what it's like to wear the uniform of the United States Air Force and soon might know what it's like to wear one of those fancy pins that members of Congress get on Capitol Hill. She is Chrissy Houlihan, who is running for office in Pennsylvania's 6th District. Chrissy, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you. I'm really great. Thanks for having me. So, as I mentioned, an Air Force veteran long before the political career. Tell us just a little bit about your time in service, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did in the Air Force. Sure. So, uh, service is part of my family responsibility and duty. I'm third generation military. My grandfather and my father were career naval aviators uh, and both served about 30 years each in the Navy. And I joined the family business right out of school. I had an ROTC scholarship uh, in in the Air Force, which they uh, graciously allowed me to join instead of the Navy. Had the aspiration at that time to be an astronaut. And so followed Sally Ride to the Stanford University, which is where she also went with an uh, the idea that I really wanted to be a pilot and an astronaut. Mm. And what did you end up doing for your time in the Air Force? Because I didn't see astronaut on the <laughs> it didn't uh, resume. Didn't end up happening that way, <laughs> and that's okay. I, you know, I had the opportunity, frankly, very early days to meet my husband, who has now been my husband for more than twenty five years, and they knew the lifestyle that I was going to ask a family of, uh, and I knew that I really didn't want to sign up a next generation of people to be as wandering as I had been as a child and to move around as frequently as I had. And so decided to instead seek a career as an engineer. So I was a program manager and an engineer in the Air Force. I served up at Hanscom Air Force Base in the Boston area. I worked on the Strategic Defense and Air Defense Initiative programs as an engineer. So my job was to think all day, every day about the end of days. You know, what would happen if the uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles or otherwise were raining down on us and how would we react and how would we make good decisions? Of course, you rose to the rank of captain in the United States Air Force and then uh, decided that your time in the Air Force was at an end. What do you recall about that period of time in your life when you took off those Air Force blues for the last time? Was that a a difficult time for you? You know, it was a difficult time in the sense that it was a a a difficult time for our nation and trying to understand what the threat was. I served in the late 80s and early 90s, and so I was serving right when the Berlin Wall was falling, right when we were trying to establish what our threat 
was at that point in time. And so there was a reduction in force. And I had actually had my first child, uh, was planning on having a second child. And I can tell you that it was a struggle to decide to separate from the military. But I think, again, it was the right choice for my family. Uh, I was the the only person in active duty at the time. Of course, my husband was not. Uh, And it was quite a challenge to raise a small and young family at that time in the military as as a woman. I think about the fact that I, I, I have a family now. I didn't while I was in for 13 years, and I can't imagine having put them through the rigors that a, a military family has to go through. I'm kind of glad that I found them uh, afterwards, that I found my wife and that my son came along after I was out of the Navy. But Chrissy Houlihan started her family while serving in the Air Force, moved out. What did you do when you got out of the Air Force? Your first step was not to run for Congress as you are now up in (laughs) Pennsylvania. So you had engineering training. I'm going to assume that you probably went into that field in some manner. So I've had a really eclectic career after separating. And what I did immediately after the military was I went back to graduate school, also Mm. in engineering up in the Boston area at MIT. And I was also fortunate then because there was a combined program with the defense aerospace industry and the military, all the services in the military, that was something called the Lean Aircraft Initiative. And basically what that was was an initiative to try and understand what the Japanese had done successfully in manufacturing cars in the auto industry and figure out how to apply that to the airframe manufacturing industry in the American defense uh, area. Wow, that's way over my head, as are most things at the Massachusetts Institute of <laughs> Technology, I think. But obviously, you worked on that and uh, and eventually uh, moving on into the political sphere. But between that, I mean, w- was it mostly uh, kind of looking at those sorts of things for you and staying in that military one, or is it more eclectic? As no, you and, that, and that's when my career really took a hard right turn. I had the chance to join some friends of mine from college who had started, of all things, a t-shirt company. Company, oh, wow. a basketball apparel t- and, and footwear company it eventually became. <laughs> and so as you can imagine with a, a background like an engineering and, and defense background that my folks didn't think that I necessarily should be taking a hard right into apparel and footwear. Uh, but I thought it was a really good uh, opportunity to join a very young and rapidly growing company, f- very diverse, full of a lot of really interesting people. That company was called And One Basketball. Oh, um, I'm I very served, familiar with it. I yeah. served as the chief operating officer there, first mom, first woman, first person uh, who didn't really care about basketball at that organization. (laughs) And my job was to grow that company from effectively startup to a couple hundred million in revenues every year. I had a couple and one t-shirts, so I've probably paid for like your parking at least once or twice. You definitely helped helped clothe my children. Thank you for that. That is uh, a very eclectic move, going from engineering and looking at uh, basically moving Japanese technology to the U.S. aerospace industry. Working in a variety of fields is something that I don't know if we see from too many political candidates. So I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But first, when did the political bug bite you? When did you decide, you know, I think I want to run for office? So I really wasn't bitten by the bug until the election of 2016. Uh, The evening of the election of 2016 was a very difficult experience for me. Uh, As I mentioned, I am third generation military, and I was raised in a household and in a family that was very much raised to respect the democracy 
uh, to respect the will of the people and to salute smartly and carry on, regardless of who your commander in chief is. Um, and for the very first time in my 51 years of being on the planet, I very much worried about the democracy and I worried about the freedoms that I and my father and my grandfather and my extended family, I have four active duty cousins right now, uh, had been working towards and for over our lifetimes. And so I sort of did a little bit of a, a self gut check in a way and kind of realized that I had a lot of the background and experience that I thought was relevant and important for leadership to have in government. And that uh, even though I hadn't had any experience in running for any sort of political office before, nor did I have any interest in doing it before, that this was the time to kind of come off the sidelines and raise your hand and answer the call in a very different way for the very first time. And because I have a background in defense and and, uh, and uh, national security and a background in business, and we haven't talked about it, but I also have a background in education as well, I really thought that those were the skills that we should ask for from our leaders, uh, specifically from Washington. And so it was at that point that I stepped forward to try and answer this particular call. I think whether someone agrees or disagrees with someone politically, they can look at their resume and see, oh, yeah, no, they check off all the boxes. And it it certainly seems that you do. Here's a question that I don't know that I've asked to any of the other candidates that we've had on the show. How does one go about starting the act of running for Congress? Did they come looking for you? Did you go looking for them? How did it actually begin? So some some candidates, I believe, are, you know, formally recruited to run for office because they fill various buckets and check various boxes, I think. Uh, in my particular case, I recruited myself in the same <laughs> way that I recruited myself to join the military. Um, and the way that I did that was several. I first and foremost went to my local, I'm a Democrat, my local Chester County is where I'm from, Democratic Party, uh, attended a training session there to try and understand what it meant to run for office. I didn't actually actually realized this until I attended that, but there are hundreds and thousands of elected officials and offices in the state of Pennsylvania, which is where I'm from. And so it wasn't just raising your hand to run for Congress and there weren't just six people in the room. There were hundreds of people who attended that training session at that time. Uh, the other thing that I did was I reached out to a couple of organizations that align with my, you know, sensibilities. One of them is an organization called the New Dems, which is down here in Washington, D.C. And the New Dems are a group of moderate Democrats who are pro-business, pro-national security, and also pro-people. So I talked to them about my ideas. Um, and finally, I, I reached out to an organization called Emily's List, which helps to get women elected to Congress specifically. And all of those organizations, na- national, statewide, and local were helpful in, in helping me understand how to do this. You are now just a couple months away from the election. You've gone through uh, the majority of this process. Is it something that you would recommend to other veterans out there, whether they're Republicans, Democrats, if they're thinking, you know, I think I might be able to make a difference running for office, either on the national level like you or the statewide level, the local level, whatever the case may be. What would you say to someone who's thinking, eh, maybe I'd consider that if they're on the fence, which which way should they go? I would very much encourage other veterans and, frankly, other women as well to uh, serve in this in this way. I think it's really, really important, and I think that we are a voice that needs to be at the table. I think that it's hard to be a veteran or a woman or a scientist, an engineer, uh, an educator. All of those things are hard for uh, you to crack through, you know, to break through a process that really elevates mostly uh, lawyers, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but it is something that I would say we should all try, and especially 
aspire to do because our issues are the issues of our nation and we really need to be taking care of each other. I think that veterans singularly understand what it means to serve. And this is service, regardless of your party, regardless of your policies and your serving country above all. We're speaking with Chrissy Houlihan, who is running for Congress in Philadelphia, sorry, in Philadelphia's, in Pennsylvania's 6th District, Philadelphia's district. That's a whole different thing. It's in the Philadelphia area, though. As you said, Chester County, I'm from the Northeast. I'm familiar with the area. Are there other veterans in your local area that you've been able to meet up with who are also running for office on that local or, or national or statewide level? I've had the remarkable experience of meeting a few dozen veterans who are running in the in the national arena um, and unified uh, in our efforts together to make a difference in this way. Um, some of them are in our general region. Max Rose is running up in New York. Mikey Sherrill running in the New Jersey area. Uh, have the opportunity to meet a variety of people all across our, our country, frankly. And that is one of the things that motivates me to keep going. This is not my natural habitat. I didn't anticipate that I was going to grow up to be a congressional candidate. Uh, but I really do find a lot of hope in the in the people on both sides of the aisle who are running, who are veterans. That's my next question for you, actually. And that is that we have quite a few who are running for office. We have quite a few who are in office percentage of those serving in Congress. It's higher than the population in general. It's still at almost the lowest levels that it's ever been, certainly since World War II, when just about everybody in Congress had some military background. Do you think that the military background that you share with someone like a conservative that we were talking about off air, Dan Crenshaw, is running down in Texas, do you think that 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 shared military experience that you have and that respect between the two of you for that, do you think that that could lead to finding some sort of middle ground on some of these more difficult issues that we deal with? Yeah, absolutely. And when I was serving active duty, there was never a conversation about party affiliation when we were working together to get mm. things done. A lot of the veterans that I'm working with uh, now in this in this particular effort uh, have similar stories where they effectively say, you know, nobody ever told me that this is this flight's only for Democrats or that organization's only for Republicans. We need to work together. We need to make sure that we're elevating the country over everything else. And I think that I really do believe that that's one of the uh, things strengths that veterans bring to the table when they're working together is they're enormously capable team builders and pragmatists. And they're also people who have an understanding of what it takes for someone to be in the military, what that means, which I would say in the vast majority of cases, someone who served in the military, you can certainly look at them and say, this is someone who cares about this country. Mm -hmm. Whereas some people on either side of the political spectrum can look at uh, people on the other side who didn't serve in the military and say that person wants to destroy what America's all about. Do you think that can also be some sort of a, a congealing factor when it comes to this fractured political state that we're in right now? Absolutely. I, I really do worry for the country that we really are divided in a way that I've never seen before. And it pains me to see the way that we're uh, othering each other, that we are constantly trying to figure out what you know, tribe you're from, for lack of a better way of describing it. And we're all Americans. Uh, I think veterans understand that more than anybody. And I do think that the veterans who are hopefully rushing into this situation are all about making sure that we can heal ourselves as a nation. One of the things that I recall from speaking to Dan and speaking to Ken Harbaugh and speaking to Senator Joni Ernst and, and all the all the politicians that we've spoken to on the show and those running for office 
the majority of, not the majority, all of them, each and every one has told me that they may have used their service in some way to kind of get their foot in the door, but then they need people to listen to what they're talking about and focus on the issues. Serving in the military is a great thing, but it does not immediately mm-hmm. qualify you for office. Mm-hmm. It's where you stand on the issues. So let's talk a little bit about the issues that you're running on. What are the core issues of Chrissy Houlihan's campaign for the 6th District in Pennsylvania? So the issues in the 6th Congressional District, which is in the western suburbs of Philadelphia, uh, of Pennsylvania, are not different, in my opinion, than any of the issues that are of Pennsylvania or the nation at large. They're what would be considered kitchen table issues, either the issues that keep you up at night. Uh, again, apartisan, nonpartisan issues. They're making sure that people have access to affordable and quality health care, uh, making sure that we have a continued access to great education that we have many of us have been beneficiaries of making sure that we have good jobs jobs that treat each other with dignity with a living wage with equal pay for equal work uh, and making sure that Medicare and Social Security and those uh, those really important so safety nets are also something that's consistently available for all of us. Of course, people can go to your website ChrissyHoulihanForCongress.com to find out more about those issues. One interesting one that I see when looking down the list, and it's one that I, you know, many people with military backgrounds seem to disagree on for some reason, and that has to do with guns. One thing I noticed from your website that I found interesting and wanted to uh, to ask you about was that you don't put gun control, but actually gun violence prevention, which uh, some people would say those are the same issue. Some people would say uh, that they're different. Where do you stand on guns, which particularly in America's cities are, are, are basically a, a scourge? There's something that has caused too much suffering in places like Chicago, in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. New York City. Go around the country to all the cities. Uh, where do you stand on guns and gun control and gun violence? And, and how do you think we should address that? So one of the things we didn't cover in our conversation yet is that I also spent the last five or six years of my career working in uh, North Philadelphia and in Philadelphia proper on um, education, issues of education and early childhood literacy amongst communities that are really underserved and very challenged by a lot of things, but one of them being violence uh, as well as uh, access to uh, quality education. And so I was actually a teacher. I taught chemistry in North Philadelphia for a time and then spent the last four years working working with similarly um, communities that are similarly uh, disenfranchised. And so guns in the classroom and gun safety and addressing the uh, scourge of gun violence is, is important to me for a couple reasons. One is I do come from a heritage of um, uh, the military. I do believe strongly in the Second Amendment. I think you should have access to guns to be able to collect and to hunt and those sorts of things. But I also think there is such a thing as responsible gun ownership. In my community, 40% of us in Chester County and Berks County own guns. Uh, But I believe 70, 80, in some cases 90% of us, depending on the issue that we're talking about, believe that there are common sense things that we can be doing to make us safer in our classrooms, in our communities, in our country. And those are some of the things that we're talking about in our community in terms of gun safety. And when it comes to gun violence, uh, most of the gun violence is not being committed, of course, by lawful gun owners. There's a lot of illegal guns out on the street. However, how did they get there? Where did they come from? There are some things that we certainly do need to address. And I think people on both sides of that issue, particularly military veterans, have an understanding of that. But it is a difficult conversation. But do you think that that is one that the the combined uh, military background of all these veterans running for Congress and those who serve, having that knowledge that you do and having that place to come from, uh, not ignorance, because there are some politicians out there 
wouldn't know the first thing about a gun if you asked them, you know, what what is an assault weapon, an assault rifle? What is the difference between those terms? They wouldn't know. Do you think that this is one that the veterans really should take a, a, a lead in addressing? I can talk certainly only for myself. It is something I feel a responsibility to lean into because of my experience, my personal background and experience, both in a classroom and also, you know, in service. I think that I have a responsibility to talk about this issue. Yeah, that's certainly a big one. And there are a lot of big issues, and those are the priorities that Chrissy Houlihan has as she runs for Congress. Growing the economy, immigration reform, money and politics. When you are out on the campaign trail and people come up to you and veterans come up to you, those who agree with you, those who disagree with you, what's been the response from the veteran community to your campaign? I think it's been remarkably receptive. I mean, I I think fundamentally where I come from in Pennsylvania, the suburbs of Philadelphia are what I try to describe to other communities as a purple people. You know, we sort of have party affiliations, but they're relatively speaking loose and, and we sort of sit left of center or right of center. And we also are very private about kind of where we stand politically. And so the conversations are, are really fascinating conversations uh, in some cases where people wouldn't necessarily expect from a, a woman who, who is, uh, you know, in her 50s and uh, 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 presents herself in this way that you would have been a vet- veteran. Those are actually also interesting conversations that I've served. It is. And there is no there's no standard mold for a veteran. I mean, there are uh, the the super secret squirrel special operators out there. There are the pilots. There are the mechanics. And, and we don't all we're not a monolith. We don't all come from the same thing. We didn't do the same thing. We don't think the same way, look the same way. Do you find ever that there are people who assume because you're a veteran and a politician now that you're going to think some some particular way or they might be surprised by your position on things? Well, I think I allow people to think differently sometimes who may have a certain position on something and maybe uh, feel as though maybe they're entrenched in some way in that position that whenever they have the opportunity to speak to me as a as a veteran or as a business owner and operator uh, who has a career that they may not expect of a person who's running in my position, uh, that they have a, the ability to have a more open conversation and maybe a question Uh, question some of the things that they're talking about. So it's a good open conversations are important. It's also going to seem, at least based on your background, that there are not going to be too many conversations that you won't be able to at least have some sort of uh, thing to draw from in your background when it comes to of course working as an engineer, working as an educator, being in the military. Do you think we need more people of that kind of diverse background in politics and fewer of the lawyers and career politicians, people who, you know, senator is what they wanted to be from when they were in the first grade? Yeah, it was actually one of the bigger motivators when I was thinking about running was the realization, a couple of realizations. One is Pennsylvania is the largest state in the country that has no women in Congress. 18 congressmen, two senators, both men, uh, we're the largest one in the country that has no women. And we need the diver- that diversity at the table, but also the realization that similar to what you just were saying, of those 18, I think only one has, a, has some sort of service, only one has some sort of a business background, only one has some sort of an education background. And again, back to the conversation of what motivated me to run, those are the pillars of our economy and those are the pillars of the responsibility of the government to make sure that we're helping each other, elevating each other. And so, yes, I believe all of that diversity needs to be at the table. 
Let's talk about the race and how you're expecting it to go. You're just a couple months away. Are you already starting to look at property in Washington, D.C.? <laughs> I mean, how do you think things are going to go? Is the fight anywhere near over with two months less for, for someone who's never run for office? I don't know. Is everything done at this point? Or are you still out there pounding the pavement? I am absolutely uh, nose down, head down, you know, making sure that I finish what I've started. Uh, in addition to all of the things that I've done in my life, I'm also pathologically competitive, and I want to make sure that I, I finish this opportunity. I've been running now for Congress to be able to serve in this new way for almost 18 months. Uh, I have two more months to go, and I need to finish it strong. I, I'm confident, I'm hopeful that I'll have the opportunity to serve in this in this new way, uh, but I take nothing for granted. One of the bigger reasons I'm running is because of an expectation of what would have happened two years ago, uh, and so I want to make sure that I take none of this for granted and none of the people that I hope to serve for granted either. If people are interested in finding out more about your campaign or with honor, I know that you've uh, you've had some dealings with them who are basically trying to get veterans into Congress, regardless of party affiliation. Where can people go to find out more about Chrissy Houlihan and find out more about your fellow veterans that are running for office this year? Sure. There's a couple of great places. There's obviously for me specifically my website, ChrissyHoulihanForCongress.com. You mentioned With Honor, which is a terrific and bipartisan organization. There are a number of other organizations that have been enormously helpful to me. VoteVets.org is another place where you can access a list of veterans who are running for Congress in our community and in our country. And lastly, Serve America, which is an organization that doesn't just feature and highlight uh, veterans, but also people of service. So CIA, FBI, City Year, Peace Corps, Teach for America, which I was also part of. That kind of service matters, too. Chrissy Houlihan, Chrissy Houlihan, candidate for Congress, Pennsylvania's 6th District, Western Suburbs of Philadelphia. Best of luck to you in two months when you're up for that election. And if you make it down to D.C., we hope you come and visit us in the studio again. I plan on it. Thank you. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.